Rush. We got a plus one today. Tyler McComas and John Woodson at Brown O'Haver in Moore, 1901 North Moore Avenue. Travis Davidson with us on Friday, as he has been for the past several weeks. Ash Cigar Bar, 4205 South Sheridan Road in Tulsa. Before I share, and I ran some numbers earlier today, looked at some things, some things that I got, they got to get better at starting this year. We, I mean, we, we tell Brown O'Haver, we p- tell people about Brown O'Haver and what they can do for you. Let's give some actual examples, John, of what you've done for people. Tyler, we had a client hire us a year after their claim had happened. So the claim has happened. They filed it. They had a fire. It wasn't a very big fire. They heard about us on the radio. They called us a year later and said, hey, we don't think we've gotten everything. We, we don't think we've received all the money we're due. Can you take a look at it? We did. Come to find out. Uh, the insurance hadn't paid on a lot of their personal property. We took, by then though, everything had been destroyed. They didn't have it anymore. We had to rely on Facebook. We had to rely on pictures. We had to rely on receipts, just a whole bunch of stuff. We built up an inventory for them. And a year after they had the fire, we got them in an additional $40,000. Wow. Wow. So if you've had a loss and you're saying to yourself, well, I'm sure I've gotten paid. Just have us look at it. It cost you nothing. They didn't have to pay anything if we didn't get them paid. And that's what I tell people all the time. It, there's no risk involved at all. If, no you, if you don't get them paid, then they don't have to pay you. This so person what is, is there to lose? And Seriously. how many people a year later, they, th- they thought they were paid out, but they just wanted us to take a look at it. They had heard us on the radio. They said, we're going to just give you a test. We're not going to take – Brown O'Haver is not going to take a claim on if we're not going to make you more money. Sure. We're not going to waste your time because we're not going to waste our time. But give us a shot. In this case, it was to the benefit of them making an additional $40,000. I, I love that. And I love that these aren't recycled you know, examples that you use all the time. Every time we're in here, you've got a list of five or six different examples that have happened since yeah. the last time we've been in here. So you're helping out people, not just in Moore or Norman or Oklahoma City. You're helping out people all over Oklahoma, no, our, all over. Our team takes these examples really seriously because they know that this is what really drives people to call us is when they hear other people experiencing the same thing. So please, if you're out there and you've had a loss, or you know somebody that's had a loss, give us a call, 405 Seven three five fifty five ten. Let me uh, let me tell you guys something that's uh, unacceptable in my eyes, and I'm going to guess everyone here is going to agree. Last year against Tulane, OU was outscored in the second half, twenty one to three. Tulane Green Wave, who ended up being an awful football team last year. Kansas State last year in Manhattan. KSU outscored you fourteen to ten in the fourth quarter. Baylor on the road, you got outscored twenty to seven. In the second half, Iowa State last year, you were outscored 14 to 7 in the fourth quarter. That's like half of the games that you played in last year. You were either getting outscored in the fourth quarter or in the second half. Uh, Oklahoma State, you got outscored 13 to 9 in the second half in that loss last year. How about 2020? You blew two 21 point leads to Kansas State. The first time you played Iowa State in Ames, you blew a 10 point lead. And then again, you, you almost blew a massive lead to Iowa State in the Big 12 championship. You get the trend here, and we've been seeing it now for more than just a couple of years. OU will get an early lead on a team, they'll deliver that opening haymaker. But if some team gets up and punches back, it seems like OU doesn't have a response. And there's an alarming trend of OU getting outplayed and outscored in fourth quarters and second halves. So, Travis, out of everything that we want to see be better this year or that we think is going to be better this year, 
they have got to be a better football team in second half of games this year. Well, no doubt about it. And and I think we all know how to get better in the second half is you limit the possessions of your opponent. And one thing that, you know, Levy has, has really hung his hat on is, and I know we get the dime time, score from far, all the hashtags, going fast. He had the second highest pace last year. He had the second highest pace, but he also ran the ball a ton. I mean, specifically in the second half. He likes to get a lead, and then he likes to limit the possessions by running the ball. They had the 11th most rushing attempts of any team last year, and obviously the service academies are always going to be top three. So, I mean, that's where I think we're going to be such better suited. And, I mean, just the defensive um, improvements, I mean, are, are really going to lend itself to that, right? I mean, uh, depth is important there. Obviously, in some of those uh, in some of those games, we were rotating out maybe some maybe some guys that weren't necessarily ready to play, uh, maybe that we just wanted to try and develop depth in the middle of the season, and it ended up biting us in the butt um, and nearly costing us some games. Uh, I, I think I trust the, uh, the the defensive staff a bit more to not give up those leads, but I also think that. Levy's style of play calling will limit the possessions that our opposition has, which will just lead to um, better scoring differentials in the second half. The biggest example to me of this is the Oklahoma State game last year. Yeah. That, to me, is it's the freshest on our mind. Um, and they were really good offensively the first half of that the game. First half, think about this. Think about the, that H-back position that we just – Oklahoma State had zero answer for, right, in the first half. I mean, it was crazy, wide open, scheming them wide open. In the second half, it was completely non-existent. Now, does that mean Oklahoma State made the adjustments and we didn't make the adjustments, or did we just completely go away from what worked? I'm not sure. But I've been talking about this for years now. The issue, sure, our defense can always be better, but it wasn't our defense. It was the offense. Yeah. These numbers aren't some kind of crazy numbers that make you say, oh, we're just giving up so many defensively. No, we are not scoring. If we just scored even to those teams, right, just if it's serve for serve, right, if we just held serve and scored with those, they wouldn't be comebacks. But we weren't scoring. So I'm with Travis that Levy is going to be the answer to that, and it's going to be with running the ball. The only thing that has me concerned is everybody talks about his pace. And we've seen that hurt us in the past where we go at a breakneck speed and then have to punt the ball after three plays and not having taken any time off yeah. the clock. That makes me nervous in those four Yeah, I, I think they're really going to evaluate the situation with how no. fast they go, so that is something to consider. But, guys, I, I do think it's going to be better. I'm optimistic they're going to be better in the second half, and here's why. It comes down to the thing. one of the things we've been most excited about this offseason. I think one of the reasons why they were poor in the second half, especially against good teams, I don't think that they were the team that was in better shape. I I don't think that that was the case at all in a lot of these games. If the strength and conditioning is, in fact, better, and we all believe that it is, I think one area where you're really going to see that, maybe see it the most outside of the Twitter pictures that have been released, is that OU is going to be the more physical team, the better in-shape team in the second half. I also think, though, it's more about being physically more in-shape. Guys, it's a mental thing, too. You know, they got a big lead on Tulane last year, and there's guys on the sideline, what, taking out their shoulder pads? 
dude, that can't happen. You got to have the mentality that you're going to bury people in the second half. The, so that, that's what I, I mean. It's a physical thing. It's a mental thing. And I, I, I hope, I think, but I hope that that's what we see more of this year. Tyler, look at the Baylor game. Look at the Baylor game. If you didn't know any different, you you would not have ever expected Oklahoma and Baylor. If you didn't know who you were watching, Baylor looks like the more talented, more physically impressive team on every single play, every single series, every single drive, and then it exemplified itself in the second half. That's the thing. You're, you're exactly right. It's got to come down to conditioning, and it's got to come down to toughness. And the one thing we can talk about with Lincoln Riley he was not the epitome of toughness. Yeah. You did not have the sense that we were the ever. When the going, going got tough, he did not get going. We he, were, he, he would, it, here comes the jet sweep. He would get, oh. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were never considered the tougher team. And I don't think that holds, I don't think that holds with Brent Venables. I don't think we're going to walk out and be the weaker team. I hope not, Travis. I mean, that's my expectation is to not be. And I, I'm, I know for a fact that's the st- staff's expectation. I'm sure that they've looked at the second halves from last year and from previous years and said, "Yeah, we got to get like we've got to get a lot better here." Because there's not a whole lot of teams where you've seen OU get on top and really step on the throat. I'm talking about good teams. I'm talking about good football teams. There's not a whole lot of examples here recently where OU's just owned the second half and cruised to an easy victory. Yeah, I think where it's most evident is we haven't owned the line of scrimmage. And I think that's uh, kind of what you guys are touching on. It's, you know, through these workouts, and, I mean, you see you see Beatonbow having fun. You see the weigh-ins. You see the muscle added. You see, I mean, talking with some of those guys last Friday, I mean, they saw such changes. Andrew Rame said he's seen more changes in his body over the last six months than he saw in the previous two years. I mean, he said that, you know, only two people – on the offensive line, we're benching over 320 last year, and now every single person is. Um, things like that, we saw too many people, um, you know, go for it on, on, you know, fourth and short against us, fourth and one. Just a total lack of respect for our trenches. And that came down to physicality, toughness, and strength. And I think with this, uh, you know, the line of scrimmage is going to be so much different. And if we can take back the line of scrimmage, which – Oklahoma has always buttered its bread with, then, yeah, I think we see a lot of those problems dissipate. I mean, it's not just by random chance or a fluke that this has been happening to OU really over the past two years. Guys, how about the 2020 Texas game? OU was in complete control of that game. OU was up by 14 late, and they magically just give the game away. And you can point to a, you know a couple of different things on the field as to why that happened but they look gassed they look gassed in some of these games they've got to be the more physical better in shape team and, and like the text line is saying yes I absolutely agree with it you've got to do a better job of running the ball uh, point to the Rose Bowl man oh you totally got away from giving the ball to Rodney Anderson in the second half I just there's just too many examples to cite. it was it was an issue there's no other way to say it Tyler they you talk about them being able to put away good teams. They weren't able to put away bad teams. True. I mean, the Tulane game is the best example of that. But every game, the only team they effectively put away last year was a bad Texas Tech team at home. That's it. Other than that, they were in a dogfight in every game. And it was it was just maddening. And you're right. They'd get out to the leads. And, again, I will contend that in the first half, there might not be a better play caller in college football than Lincoln Riley. 
in the first half. Whether they make adjustments or we just completely gave out, or both, we completely fell apart in the second half. Our offense was completely different than what you ever saw in the first half. The creativity was completely gone. The dynamic plays were gone. And then everything else just fell apart. Yeah. And, it, and again, it wasn't even against the good teams. It was against the bad teams. Whether it's accurate or not, what it felt like was, and it felt like this was Kansas State's game plan every single year. This was Iowa State's game plan every single year, Travis, is – all right, they're going to give us a little bit of an opening haymaker here. Hey, the year OU lost in Manhattan, it felt like OU had like a 14-point lead in that game with Jalen Hurts. But Kansas State's mentality was, okay, they're going to come out quick, just hang around, just hang around, hang around. We'll get within striking distance in the second half, and then that's when our make, we make our move. Because you're right, in the first half, Lincoln Riley, yeah, the offense couldn't be stopped. But once the opposing team made adjustments, it never felt like, Oh, you could readjust to those re- to those readjustments. You know what I mean? Like they were always they didn't have an answer back to someone just kind of hanging around and making adjustments to what they were doing in the first half. So, yeah, I man, I, Travis, I think Kansas State, I think Iowa State, I think that there were so many teams that said, "Let's just hang around until late in the third quarter, late in the fourth quarter, then we'll really make our move." And I think we saw a lot of teams do that over the past three years. Yeah, I think. Uh... I think your haymaker analogy is right on the money, Tyler. I think it is very much, uh, hey, let Oklahoma punch themselves out uh, by swinging, swinging, you know, doing all this in the first half, and then uh, they'll be tired out by about eh, mid-third quarter, and then we we can push them around. All we have to do is wait around. Uh, you know, they'll be leaning on the ropes, and uh, and all we have to do is close that gap. Now, some teams, even with that strategy, they they kind of ran out of time maybe you know they let us they let us punch ourselves out and then they ran out of that fourth quarter time but uh to your point looking at the the scoring differentials in the second half if if they played you know three quarters i know the math's going to get screwed up but if they played the first half and then had three quarters of the second half we we lose a lot more games last year so um you know you, you look at that and that's kind of the blueprint for for what happened but yeah, hopefully, like I said, the offense, the defense, just the the style switch once you get that big lead to, hey, we got a deep running back room. Let's go ahead and lean on those those new and improved uh, big bodies that we got, big, strong bodies to lean on them. We're developing a lot of good good uh, depth along the offensive line. Uh, so as, these, as they're going fast with that pace in the first half that – we can put in fresh bodies and lean on them. You look at a guy like Tyler Guyton uh, having a fantastic uh, uh, time to transfer at a TCU. Um, uh, you know, a lot of that you can put him in the second half and say, God, I've got, I've got this big old six seven six eight behemoth leading on me now. I've been having to deal with Anton Harrison the whole time in the first half. So, uh, no, I think we're I think we're set up for a um, for a nice change in that. I, I do too, but guy, we all know this. And I mean, you, John, you pointed out Tulane. I mean, Tulane outscored OU twenty-one to three in the second half last year. That can't happen. But the best teams that you're going to face, the programs that you're going to have to beat to win a national championship, you cannot outfinesse those programs no. in the second half. You might be able to do that for a quarter or a quarter and a half in the first half, but you can't outfinesse those teams when it really matters late. You got to be the tougher, the more physical, the more in shape team. And that's what I'm hoping that this program gets back to. Well, and- what you're hoping, what you're hoping for, I think every every Oklahoma fan is hoping for, is from an offensive standpoint. We've we, we've gone a lot on the offense, but we want the offense to be sustainable. 
right, be powerful in the first half and is equally powerful in the second half and not with any kind of sleight of hand or all of that, just being able to execute on very basic plays that allow our talent to be displayed, if that makes any sense. Like line up, run the play, be successful, and run that same play in the fourth quarter. And even when they know it's coming, you're running that play because you're just the better team, which Oklahoma will be. On nearly every one of their possessions, in nearly one of their games, actually. I think it was the 0-2 OU Texas game, and there were probably more OU Texas games than this happened than just the 0-2 game. But um, I think OU ran their bread and butter running play like nine or ten times in a row at Texas. And guess what? It kept getting six yards and yes. seven yards and five yards. It don't matter, man. Let them know what's coming. Run your bread and butter play. Just be able to move someone off the ball. And that's the reason why those teams in the early 2000s were so successful. Well, it didn't matter that Texas knew what they were running. They couldn't stop it. When Lincoln Riley was the most successful, he employed the running backs like no other coach in college football. Now, he had Joe Mixon and some Ajay Pirine, which are obviously are still in the NFL, so he had a lot of talent. But he employed the running backs like nobody else. He's gotten away from that over the last two years. And I'm hoping Levy gets us back to that. Yeah. If he can get us back to engaging the running back, which Oklahoma has always had a stable of running backs. We have another stable coming in this year. If he can engage the running backs, we have a really good chance of being really special this year. Yeah. Let me get you a few texts before we hit a break. Second half, suitors were forced to take their foot off the pedal to protect Alex Grinch's defense. Uh, the game against Tulane said it all about Lincoln and the team. The West Virginia game was embarrassing also. That's from Bruce. Good call. The 2020 OU Texas game shouldn't have gone to overtime. Sooners were just gassed. Well, OU ended up getting lucky. It did go to overtime because Texas could have gone for two late in the game. And they would have scored on a power sweep left or right. Jim in Arlington says Jeff Levy likes to do exactly what Muleshoe wouldn't do. Run the damn ball when you get a big lead late in games. Amen. Uh, Amen. OU quarterback throwing into triple coverage and blowing. Big be- a big leads late, facepalm emoji. I'm with you, Jim, on that facepalm emoji. All right, we'll take a break. Keep those texts coming on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. I asked a question on our Twitter page, The Ref, about OU handing out depressing losses. You had some great responses, but I think that there's one that didn't get mentioned enough. We'll tell you about that more on the other side. Keep it locked on The Ref or the Homeless Sooner fans. Friday Rush, live on the ref for the Homeless Sooner fans. Tyler McComas and John Whitson, live at Brown O'Haver in Moore, 1901 North Moore Avenue. Travis is at Ash Cigar Bar. Travis, what's going on at Ash? And uh, I know you got a comment, one additional comment of that previous conversation we were having about finesse offenses. Uh, yeah, well, we're uh, we're relaxing here at Ash Cigar Bar. We've got... Uh, um, the man who put the RT in Realtor, Steve Bullard here, of course, um, hanging out uh, with us. I think it's Purple Shirt Day. I think I, I think I missed the memo. I think over half the people in here are wearing purple shirts. It's uh, it's throwing me off a bit. But I don't. I, I hope there are not a lot of Kansas State fans uh, lying in wait. But um, yeah, kind of talking about the. Uh, uh, talking about the finesse offense, uh, I think he hit it on the head. And I think sometimes where we saw our talent neutralized, if you look at our blue chip ratio, everything like that, it's it's been said and understood over and over. We are more talented than basically all of the teams, if not all the teams we lose to, Iowa State, Kansas State. I mean, these, these, these teams that take us deep, Tulane for goodness sakes. I mean, taking us deep, we're more talented. But that's what happens when – 
you have Lincoln Riley neutralizing that talent because he prioritizes scheme over actual matchups and talent. We see this with Kellen Moore with the Dallas Cowboys. We see this with Cliff Kingsbury. Here's the thing. Sometimes Kyler goes off script and just throws it to DeAndre Hopkins because he's the best player. There are times where Kyler, I mean, it, it, it came out on the Twitter the other day. Kyler was shaking his head apparently on, on radio calls from Cliff, and Cliff gave him the radio said, well, how about oh, you, yeah. boo, big dog? It's not so easy. The thing is, when you have these guys that are these offensive gurus and geniuses and whatever superlatives you want to use, they they outsmart themselves. They, they, they think too hard. They think, oh, I've got to scheme this guy to be open, running down the middle. And, yeah, that, that scheme can work with just about anybody. But if you're Kellen Moore and you got C.D. Lamb lined up against somebody that's giving him a bunch of room, throw him the ball. Lincoln Riley, if you've got Marvin Mims matched up one-on-one, throw him the ball. Cliff, if you've got, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, throw him the ball. Let him go win a matchup. And Troy, Make- Troy Aikman even said this about Kellen Moore's offense. He said, if if – Defenders lined up against C.D. Lamb, and I'm not comparing Lamb to Irvin, but this is what he said, so don't crucify me. Go after Troy. But he said if def- if defenses played Michael Irvin like these defenses are playing C.D. Lamb, he'd have 10 catches by halftime because these offensive geniuses, they get so worked up with with the scheme that they just totally throw their talent advantage out just, just, just out the window. And that's where Levy goes, look, my talented guys – I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to get him the ball. If you give me a favorable matchup, I'm going to I'm going to work that matchup until you change. And that's what I think we're going to see a big difference in because we were letting so much talent just go to waste, just die on the vine because they weren't able to showcase that talent. I think Spencer Rattler, number one quarterback in the class, he gets in there. You've heard his comments at South Carolina. He says he's been more developed, and I think he'll have even more success at South Carolina. Because I think they're letting him be talented. Whereas I think when he was at Oklahoma, Lincoln was trying to make him fit into this scheme instead of letting him use one of the most talented arms and live arms in the country. Now, did he force the issue a couple times? Absolutely. He got too, he got too confident sometimes in his arm. But at the same time, take advantage of your talent. If you have an advantage in it, you can out-recruit whoever you want. If you got a coach that yeah. won't use your talent, it will not matter. Yeah, it's, it's no different than basketball, John. What's the goal in basketball most of the time? You've got one player that's better than everyone else. Just get the hand and the ball in his hand and go let him score. Football, we overthink it so much, but a lot of time it's just that if you got a matchup, exploit it over and over until they stop it. Well, Tra- Travis mentioned Marvin Mims. I mean, if that's not example number one off of last year, I don't know what is. Yeah. I mean, the reason he's not a preseason Big Twelve wide receiver this year is because of Lincoln Riley. It's not because he's not a preseason Big 12 wide receiver, because he absolutely is. Number two, you know where you also, you see this, and this is not just on Lincoln Riley's side of the ball, but it was with, um, it was with Alex Grinch and Speed D and the constant, his scheme to constantly rotate players in, right? And now you're seeing Perrion Winfrey, who played 50%, 60% of the time, is actually a really, really, really productive football player. And if he would have played more because he was your better player, you would have gotten more production out of him, and you probably would have had a more productive defense. Yeah. The same thing with Brian Osamoa. Why are you ever putting a linebacker on the bench? Linebackers don't go on the bench. Linebackers, if you're the best linebacker, you play most of the game. And so when you dilute the talent base on defense – 
because you think your scheme is going to make you less tired in the fourth quarter. Clearly that wasn't the case because we were more tired in the fourth quarter and we had less productive players on throughout the game. This it was a, a bad combo. This is a good, from, good text from Sean on the Air Coverage Solutions text line before we move on. He says, Lincoln Riley was very Josh Heupel with better quarterback play. Uh, over the OU over the last decade or decade and a half has been about striking early and hanging on. Georgia game is a great example. It's not so much abandoning the run, it's abandoning wanting to score. The model is we expect the other team to quit. When we don't, we're lost on what to do. And that's what I'm talking about with Kansas State. Just hang around, hang around, hang around. We'll be the more physical, we'll be the better in shape team in the fourth quarter, and we'll find a way to win. And to Kansas State's credit, unfortunately, they were able to do that a decent number of times. Uh, over the past, what, six years, really over the past decade as well. All right, uh, real quick. So I put this out on Twitter today on The Ref, and a lot of you responded. Always appreciate that. OU handing out depressing losses. And I think when we think initially about, well, what's been a devastating loss that OU's handed out to another program? 2001 Texas, the way that that unfolded, right? Uh, 2013 at Oklahoma State, that was a devastating loss for OSU. They just needed to beat OU on their home field as a 10-point favorite. They win the Big 12 that year. 2000 at A&M. I know those A&M fans thought they had OU that day. Of course, last year versus Texas. I've got a wild card for both of you guys, though. Travis, I think OU did it twice in the same year to Missouri in 2007. Now, that could have arguably been Missouri's best team ever in 2007. They had a lead in the second half in Norman and end up getting beat down that day with college game day on hand. And they even had an they even had an early lead on OSU or excuse me on OU in the Big 12 championship game and it was tied at halftime Missouri number 1 all they got to do is win and they're going to play for a national championship. There has been no I, I mean that's got to be the most devastating loss in Mizzou history and we don't really talk about that all that much. Yeah, I agree, and I and and I I tend to lean towards the championship game a bit more, um, simply because all of their all of their goals were still in front of them uh, after the after the regular season. It's I mean you still got the number one ranking going in, right? You still got BCS dreams going into the game when that when that you know kickoff uh, flies through the air, um, everything's still in front of them. So I think that's where it's the most depressing because they do that. They even they score first, you know. Okay, it's good. Shut out Oklahoma in the first quarter. Tied at half, looking good. And then they get blown out 24 to 3 uh in the second half. And and I think that's where that's where the the letdown and the depressing defeat I think hurts the most is when you have the highest hopes. When you have yeah. when you're at halftime and you're going, "All right, guys, we are two quarters from, from you know, an absolute best, I mean, bar none, best season in Missouri history, greatest accomplishment in Missouri Tiger history. We are two quarters away. And what, you do, what do you do in those two quarters? You get throttled. And I think that's what, I think that's really the key is, is keeping them from realizing those hopes and dreams. Uh, Oklahoma's been beat by a lot of, crappy quarterbacks but if we'd have lost to chase daniel i don't know what i would have done 
That yeah. guy was such a dweeb. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he was. We caught him picking his, his – he's, he's the one that was eating his bookers on the sideline, right? Am yeah, I wrong about you can this? still Is find that, the, that on YouTube. Now, he has – um, you got to respect that he's been able to hold on in the NFL for so long. I, still, I think he's still in the league making some money. But, he might be. But, yeah, I mean, he was an easy quarterback to dislike. He was just a pain in the butt. Yeah, he was. But hot take here, Missouri I don't think will ever, ever be ranked number one again in their uh, school's history when it comes to football. That was their opportunity to play for a national championship, number one, and I, I don't think that there's a more devastating loss for Missouri. So you could point last year to OU Texas. I think that that is accurate. I think Sark said that that totally just destroyed their season. But Texas wasn't having a good year, regardless of what happened inside the Cotton Bowl that day. It would have ended up being better, sure, but Texas still wasn't going anywhere. That Missouri Big 12 championship game, man, that's got to rank up there pretty high for most devastating losses OU's handed out. Yeah, but the Oklahoma State game. Yeah, that, that's up that, there, too. That Oklahoma State game in 2013 in the cold at Stillwater where your award-winning cornerback drops the ball on, on the final drive. I don't know. That was a gut punch at Oklahoma State that yep. I'm not sure they've recovered from. They thought they had the interception that ended the game. Yes. It's incomplete. Blake Bell, the third quarterback off yes. the bench, throws the best pass of his career in the corner of the end zone to Jalen Saunders. Yeah. Um, text line, I remember watching Curtis Lofton getting in Booger Eater's face and loving it. <laughs> ha ha, but you got to respect Chase making his $40 million riding the bench. Curtis Lofton scored a touchdown that year in the game in Norman. And I think he got – did he score a touchdown, too, in the Big 12 championship game? He was a beast in I think game. he did. I think he scored a touchdown in both those games that year. Uh, as a Sooner fan living here in the middle of these Mizzou nutcases, keep piling it on, that great Mizzou team ever. Love it. That's from Missouri Sooner. Yeah, that's fun. Um, well, if you love piling on Missouri and some other fan bases, well, guess what? You're really going to like the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Because John, who's sitting next to me, I know a lot of you know this, but he is a co-host of the Boomer Bevo podcast, the only podcast on the Internet dedicated to the greatest rivalry in college football, OU Texas. John represents the OU side of the podcast, but a guy that works here, Kevin Miller, represents the Texas side of the podcast. So at 4 o'clock, we're going to have one segment where we get to ask a Texas fan anything. The only requirement is that Kevin is honest about it. I don't want him playing to the OU crowd no. and bowing down and saying, no. yeah, you guys are awesome. No, be a Texas fan. Tell us what you think. So at 4 o'clock, you're going to be able to text and ask Kevin questions as an OU fan to a Texas fan. And I've got some questions for Kevin myself. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'll tell you what. We've been doing the Boomer Bevo podcast. We started it in May. The response has been fantastic, especially on the Potomatic page for KREF. Yeah. We get so many views on that. And so for everybody that listens to that, thank you so much. Kevin has got the most encyclopedic brain. He's, he's a smart guy. He really is. I respect his college I mean, football knowledge. His college Honest football knowledge. And, I mean, he can tell you the position the kid played in high school and who he was recruited by and who he chose over. And I mean, we're talking... He rem- and he remembers OU history as much as he remembers Texas history. Because yeah. I remember one of the first conversations we were talking about, he's like, when I saw Adrian Peterson not starting against Bowling Green, I was concerned about it. But then when he got in on the 14th <laughs> play of the yeah. game, and I was like, wait a minute, you remember Adrian Peterson's first game? He's, oh, absolutely. And he goes on to describe it. Kevin's fantastic. So uh, all that to be said, please don't hold back on Kevin. Yeah, don't hold back. Send your questions it. now, 405-651-3439. The only thing I don't like is that Kevin's way too nice. Kevin's a Texas fan. I want him to be the 
brash, arrogant UT fan. And maybe he is when he's watching football games. I don't know. But he represents a, a, a version of a Texas fan that I'm not familiar with. That well, I've never met before. The problem with Tex- with Kevin as a Texas fan is he actually has intellect and perspective. Ooh. Does that make you know what I'm saying? That does make sense. Intellect and perspective makes you realize that Texas hasn't been worth a flip in 15 years. That's exactly right. Well, we'll ask him questions like that. There you go. Coming up at four o'clock. There you go. All right, it is hour number one of the Friday Rush. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Suter fans. Friday Rush live on the ref. Tyler McComas, John Whitson, Brown O'Haver live and more. 1901 North Moore Avenue. Travis is at Ash Cigar Bar, 4205 South Sheridan in Tulsa. This hour is brought to you by Cavens Construction, which I, I tell you guys every single day how awesome Cavens is. And if you don't want to take it from me, that's fine. But at least take it from John Whitson, who has personally dealt with Cavens Construction and can give them an A rating. They're the professionals of professionals. We have dealt with contractors all over the state of Oklahoma, all over, really, Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, the whole area. And they are the professionals of professionals. They've done everything from government work to small residential work and everything in between. Call Gary. He's great. We highly, highly endorse him. Um, I'm going to ask you both a question. Travis, I'll start with you. Now, this is a... It's not cruel. It's just kind of a fun exercise to see who both of you value the most on the staff as an assistant. But, Travis, if you had some sort of weird power to lock in any assistant coach currently on OU staff for the next five years, they can't leave for another school. They can't take a head coaching job elsewhere. You're giving them a five-year contract. They have to sign and be here for the next five years. What one assistant coach on staff right now would you lock in? Well, I'm glad I'm getting to go first. I'm going with uh, the slam dunk answer in Jeff Levy. Um, he, uh, you know, he's going to be a head coach, and it's going to be within the next five years. It's, I don't think it's going to take close to five years, to be honest. Obviously, he, uh, um, he's under the best head coach possible to convince him, maybe, that being a longtime coordinator and racking up uh, some rings and whatnot is not necessarily a bad thing while you wait for your dream job. I don't necessarily know what Jeff Levy's dream job is. I have not asked him that. But um, that's the one because I think a lot of the other defensive coaches, I think they love Venables so much or have history with Venables that they aren't going to be quick to jump anywhere else unless it's an obvious, obvious you know, upgrade as far as like position, title, pay, that kind of thing. And I don't think, I don't think anybody's ready to make the head coach leap right now, other than other than Levy on the staff. Not to say they couldn't do it in the future, but I think Levy's most suited for it right now. So uh, easy answer for me: lock up Jeff Levy for five years and uh, let him get a handful of rings. To answer your question, OU is Jeff Levy's dream job, by the way. I, I feel very, so. I feel very confident in, in saying that. You, go, you going with Lev or are you going with somewhere no, else? No, I'm not going with Levy, um, although I would love to have him for five years, provided that you know his offense is everything it says it yeah, is. We, we say that now, getting to game two of the season. Go run the yeah, ball! Let's see, who, let's see who he puts it running the, back. The offensive coordinator at pos, uh, position at OU is, man, yeah. it's, it's a brutal. I'm not, I am not ready to give him a five-year contract. <laughs> I can we go strength and conditioning, Coach? Because I don't want to lose Schmitty. The energy that Schmitty has brought back to the team, is bit, it's incalculable. 
It's incalculable. We've seen life with Schmitty and life without Schmitty. And I don't want to go back to life without it. And so <laughs> I don't know. How old is Schmitty? Uh, I don't know exactly. And I don't want to, like, guess and be totally wrong. No, no, no. I don't, I don't want to put a number on him or anything. But, my goodness, I just want to make sure that the guy isn't thinking to, it's time to go fishing and golfing in Arizona or Florida or whatever. You know what I mean? We need this 59 guy. 59 years old. I was going to say the 50s. We need this guy. 50s. We need this guy to stay. The energy level, that to me – that's what's created so much of the momentum that Oklahoma's got going for it right now because it started in January. I mean, the videos that players were putting out, the videos that coaches were putting out, the excitement that we're talking about workouts. You know, you use Allen Iverson. We're talking about practice. We're talking about off season, but it got some momentum in the, in the program going and everything we talked about in the first hour was how soft Oklahoma was, how weak we were in the second half, how weak we were along the trenches, how weak we were this and that. I think with Schmitty, we're going to change that corner, and we're going to turn it quick. Text line says Todd Bates and Bill Bedenboe are the right answers here. I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm yep. good with that. I, 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 did, I did think that someone was going to throw out a Miguel Chavis. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right answer. I just thought someone, I thought someone was going to say, young up-and-comer, we got to keep this guy around as long as possible. So, But no, no one's taking it. No takers. Yeah, I, I think it's. Ju- I think it's just you have to look at the likelihood of them leaving. I think with. Yeah. I think. I think Levy has the shortest fuse. I will say as far as who's ready for a head coaching position, and that's the most obvious upgrade. Uh, again, not only in pay but in title. Um, Chavis, I think you know this is still his first on-field role. He has not coached a single snap on the on the field, and I know people are saying, you know, well Venables. You know, first-time head coach, let's pump our brakes. He's He's been a coordinator for so long, longer than these kids have been alive. Um, so the experience on the field is not really that much of an issue for a lot of people, but it is for some. Miguel Chavis, I'm, I'm not one to doubt his the, the shine on his star. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you talk to any recruits, you see what he's doing on the recruiting trail, all that. Um, but... I mean, I, I don't. I don't think it's a situation where another school is saying, "Oh man, Chavis is really developing these kids big time. We need to get him off of Oklahoma, and we need to put him as a as as a this coach next year." You know, in two yeah. years from now. Whereas I think if yeah, Le- Le- Levy Le- has Le- be the first, even a good year this year, the staff is yeah, a head he, coach hired. He could be a head coach next year if 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 this year goes well enough. That's that's what I'm saying. So uh, yeah, I would love to. I I think. I think Schmidt's a great answer. I think that's a I think that's a sneaky answer because uh, you know while we're thinking you know on field coordinator type position groups uh, uh, the the, uh, the sneaky answer with Schmidt I think it's a good one. I I got to tell you the, the coach to me that hasn't I know he's gotten some credit and so I don't want to say hasn't gotten any credit but that got credit for staying keeping momentum going with the class holding the ship together and now really showing it on the recruiting trail is DeMarco Murray. No, oh, yeah, man. Golly, he's been a four, stud. Uh, four stars in the previous two classes, and me thinks he's going to land a uh, elite running back this next class, and, too. And That's not a hot take. I, and I don't know what the re- – you'll never know what the relationship was between him and Lincoln Riley in terms of play calling and personnel, but something tells me that him and Levy are going to be more in line with who needs to be playing and when they need to be playing, and I think you're going to see a lot more consistency Well, I think position. more people on the staff are going to have a say in what happens offensively, which is huge, because OU, for an offensive coach here for a while, it was kind of a dead-end job. Oh, you weren't going to be the offensive coordinator. You weren't going to be the play caller. You weren't going to be a quarterback coach. You were just going to be... 
the running backs coach or the wide receivers coach and not have a chance to call plays here. And Lincoln wasn't – that was Lincoln's offense and nobody else. You know, there, it, from what I understand, there wasn't a lot of room for someone to come up to him and say, hey, I think we should do this. Here's what I think about my personnel. I think Levy is more open, and you're going to hear – you're not going to see it necessarily, but Bill Beatonville will have more of a say on what happens offensively. DeMarco will have a say. It's ultimately Jeff Levy's offense, but it's more of an open conversation than it's been before. Well, and if you look at the talent on the offensive side, I, I agree. I don't know – I don't think Lincoln Riley was maximizing the talent he had because you look at that Oregon game and the play calling. It's the and, best game and they the, played all year. It was the best offensive game <laughs> plan and execution the entire year. And that was with half of your offensive staff gone. Yeah. We'll close up hour number one of the Friday Rush. Coming up next, keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. Friday Rush, Tyler McComas, John Whitson, Travis Davidson. Let's get one quick example before we hit the top of the hour here from John at Brown O'Haver. Tell us just another reason or another example of how you help people out. Well, you said it right there quick. In addition to getting people paid more money, we get them paid more money quickly, more quickly than they would on their own. Um, Sometimes the best deals that a client gets from us is when they're a small claim. So we had a client that had a small fire claim in June, but she was older she wasn't able to kind of handle the claim. She was a little overwhelmed. She hired us for a claim that just happened in June. From the beginning, we got her paid policy limits, all that cash in her pocket in 25 days. Unbelievable. 25 days from hiring us because we were able to communicate with the insurance company, communicate with the contractors, communicate with all the necessary pieces, and get her paid as quickly as possible because someone like that needs the money as quickly as they can to rebuild. And so... If it's not the money, if the money doesn't motivate you, let it be the time and the hassle. We can speed up the time and decrease the hassle. Put, let us handle it for you, 405-735-5510. Brown O'Haver can do it for you. Travis, 30 seconds. Uh, your feel on the Malachi Nelson situation one week removed from this A&M visit. I still think oh, that he ends up uh, in, at USC, but this isn't a good look. It's really not a good look, and it's just another arrow in the quiver of negative recruiting that uh, can be fired at Lincoln Riley. Ask a Texas fan anything. We're doing it. Next segment. Text it in, 405-651-3439. Keep it locked in the ref for the homeless Sooner fans.